You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. This is week number four in our series, Set a Guard Over My Mouth. And we're talking about the importance of our words. Turn to somebody close by and say, you need to watch what you say. Say, Tell them this, say, put a guard over your mouth. Amen. So we're looking at this, and and of course this title comes from uh, the verse that's found in Psalm 141. And so the scriptures will be on the screen for you or on your handout there. But Psalm 141, verses 2 through 3, in the New King James says this, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And then the psalmist prayed this. He said, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The the contemporary English version says it this way, Think of my prayer as a sweet-smelling incense and think of my lifted hands as an evening sacrifice. And then I like this translation of verse 3. Help me to guard my words whenever I say something. And so again, we've been looking at the importance of our words and the place that they fill in our lives. Let me show you another scripture. We've also looked at this in the previous weeks, but but it just summarizes it very well. And that's Proverbs 18, verses 20 and 21. Again, from the New King James, it says, A man's stomach or his belly, his being, shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. What is the fruit that your mouth produces? Your words, okay? So he says, Your life, your being, shall be satisfied from the words that come out of your mouth. From the produce of his lips shall he be filled. And then this one's really one of those mic drop scriptures. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, we've been posing this question every single week in this series and, and based on verse 21 there where it says death and life are in the power of the tongue. What would happen and how would we govern our words if we truly believed that every word we speak comes to pass. Okay, How, let me, let me uh, put it to you a little differently. What would we do differently if every one of our words instantly came to pass? See, a lot of times we think we get by with things because it takes time for spiritual things to work in our lives, but this scripture is very clear. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and uh, the... Uh, one translation, and we'll look at it in just a second, but it, it, it basically says this, that you need to be prepared for whatever your tongue opens the door to, okay? So we've been, you know, just hitting on some points. Let me hit on a couple of these points. These aren't on your notes. These are from previous weeks. But, but, but based on the scripture that we just read from Proverbs 18, your life is filled with what your lips are producing, So whatever in the general overview sense is going on in your life today is a result of what the words are, are, is a result of the words that you spoke yesterday. Now, I know things happen in our lives that are beyond our control. In other words, you know, other people have impact into what happens in our lives. But I'm talking about in a broad sense, in your life, your life experience is being shaped by the words that come out of your mouth. And as I shared with you, the easy-to-read version of verse 21 says this, the tongue can speak words that bring life or death. Those who love to talk, okay, don't just look straight ahead, don't look at anybody. Those who love to talk must be ready to accept what it brings. So, you know, there's an old saying uh, back during World War II when, uh, you know, everybody was concerned about uh, espionage and all of that, there was a posters that they made that said this, loose lips sink ships. Anybody remember that? Well, you know, I think it would probably do us good to remember that for our own lives, and that is 
You know, you've got to be ready to accept what your tongue brings into your life. Now, we read, uh, we're not going to read it today, but James chapter 3, uh, verses 3 and 4 talk about a horse's bridle determines the direction that a horse goes in, just like the rudder of a ship determines the direction that that ship goes in. And so one of the other points that we've made is this, is your tongue determines the direction of your life based on what James said in James chapter 3. So again, if you want to change the direction of a horse, you pull on the reins and it puts pressure on the mouth of that horse and the horse turns in that direction. If you want to change the direction of a ship, no matter how big the ship is, you turn the rudder. So that goes hand in hand with this, and that is if you don't like the direction that your life is headed, change the direction by changing what you're saying. Now again, this takes time. You know, um, one of the great tragedies, of course, if you've ever seen the movie The Titanic, you know, when the, uh, when the uh, guys in the tower saw the iceberg, they gave the order for them to turn the ship, but the ship couldn't turn quick enough to avoid the iceberg. And, uh, you know, the same thing is true in our lives. When we see things that we don't like in our lives and we want to change the direction, again, you need to understand, we talked about this last week, but you need to understand that when you begin to speak different things over your life, it takes a little bit to get the ship turned in the right direction. So when you don't see things changing immediately, here's the, the bottom line, don't quit. Keep doing it, okay? Now, here's a couple of truths that I want you to see, again, not in your notes, but when we speak words, we have, I don't want to say people, we have beings that are listening to us, okay? You have angels, you have heaven, and you have the devil and his team that are listening to the words that come out of your mouth. So look at this point. The devil and his team are trying to orchestrate things in your life to get you to say things over your life that they can act on in your life. Okay, going back, death and life are in the power of the tongue. If they can get you to speak death, death, death over your life, what that does is that opens the door for them to begin to produce that in your life. Can I get an amen? Okay, so again, death and life are in the power of the tongue. On the flip side of that, you have a whole host of angels that are made available to you. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 says that God has assigned them to be ministers for those who are heirs of salvation. And the Bible also says in the book of Psalms that they hearken to the commandment of God's word. So what that means is, is they're listening to heaven to hear when God speaks his word and they're listening to to you for when you speak God's word so they can begin to act on the word that you're speaking out of your mouth. Amen? So when you say things, you know, like when we go and, and when we're getting ready to dismiss and I quote part of Psalm 91 over you when I, and, and you know, from Isaiah when it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper and I declare that the angels have been given charge over you those angels perk up at that. And if you will believe the word of God and declare it over your own life, you allow them to be able to go to work to cause that word to come to pass in your life. Amen. All right, so that is the end of the review. Let's bow our heads and let's go home. No, I'm just kidding. What I want to do is I want to go to a portion of scripture that we've alluded to some in this series and uh, I want to dive into it, <clears throat> excuse me, in an expository sense. And what expository means is that we'll go verse by verse. It's found in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. You have it there in one group on your notes. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to look at it verse by verse and teach you some things from each verse so that you can understand 
what Jesus was saying. Uh, you know, I say this very often, and, and I want us all to get this. Jesus never did accidental. He never did random. So when it seems like in your reading in the Gospels, it seems kind of like Jesus said some off-the-wall stuff, there is no such thing as off-the-wall where he's concerned. There was a reason behind it. There, you know, there, he's, he wasn't full of madness, but there was a method to what he was doing. And I want you to be able to uh, look at this and understand this. So let's begin with verse 33, chapter 12 of Matthew. Jesus said this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Now, he's going to explain and give us a little bit of further light in this, but I want to just say this to begin with, and the understood subject of verse 33 is you. So you either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Now we're fixing to find out what fruit he's talking about, for a tree is known by its fruit. Well, we kind of already have a glimpse of that by what Proverbs 18 told us. What is the fruit of your lips? Your words, okay? So we're going to find out in just a second. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. So if you're, if you're writing notes, write this down, please. Jesus said we can determine whether the tree is good and produces good fruit or if the tree is bad and produces bad fruit. So using the, the scriptures from Proverbs 18 and tying it into this right here, and, and of course we're not adding to it, where Jesus is going to tell us exactly the same thing, the fruit that he's speaking of are your, or is your words. The fruit is your words. The fruit is what comes out of your mouth. So Jesus said you have a choice in whether the tree, what, what produces the fruit is good or whether the fruit itself is good. You have a choice in that. So can I say this to you? You have a choice in what comes out of your mouth. A lot of us don't think we do. <laughs> you know, a lot of people just say whatever comes up, you know, uh, like I, I used to, like I said to you, I used to operate this way. Speak first, think second. Okay? That's not the way we're designed and, and God really wants us to function. All right? So, again, we determine whether the tree is good and we determine whether the fruit is good or bad. All right? So, write this down, please. Fruit from a tree represents the end results. So if you have an apple tree and that apple tree never produces apples, did it ever get to the end result? No, of course not. So when an apple tree produces fruit, you, it has been able to produce the end result that it was designed to produce, okay? So in this case, Jesus is telling us that we can determine whether the tree is good and whether the end results are good. Okay, track with me here. Pay, pay close attention, okay? Another way to say this, based on the Greek language, and for those of you who might be new, the, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And uh, Jesus spoke Aramaic, and then it was translated into Greek. But another way to say this, based on the Greek, is a tree can produce fruit that is good for you and the end results will be good or a tree can produce fruit that is bad for you and the end results will be bad. Okay, I know that sounds simple, but this is what, what Jesus is wanting us to see. He also said that a tree will be known by the results that it produces. Can I say this to you, <clears throat> just to jump ahead a little bit in the punchline? You are known by the words that you speak. 
Uh, you might have heard it said this way. You're no better than your word. Okay? In other words, if, if, if what comes out of my mouth half the time is untruths or exaggerations or, uh, you know, I don't do what I say I'm going to do and so forth and so on, you don't have a whole lot of confidence in me as a person, do you? Okay? All right. Well, if, if my words are true and I do my very best to fulfill what I promise and what I say, then you think better of me, and I'm going to use this phrase, as a tree, correct? Okay. All right. Now, keep this going. Let's go on. What's the next verse? Verse 34. Jesus said this, O brood of vipers. Now, he's talking to the religious leaders of the day. He says, O brood of vipers. Now, that's a real nice way of saying, you snakes. <laughs> Now, I've been called a lot of things, but I've never been called a snake before. He was serious. So he said, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, now he's getting ready to narrow it down for us. What's the next word? Come on, what's the next word? So he said, oh, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders. And the reason he called them vipers is because what came out of their mouths was filled with poison. It was hurting the people. And that's what really aggravated Jesus so much about the religious leaders is, is that the, the things that they were teaching the people to do were uh, borderline ungodly and, and were just causing confusion and hurt and harm in the lives of the people. But Jesus said this. He said, how can you being evil? So bringing it to the verse before, verse 33, he said, the tree is evil. So the tree is bad, and so the tree cannot produce good things, correct? All right. He said, how can you, being evil, speak good things? It's an impossibility. Why? Because what is in their heart in abundance is what's going to come out of their mouths. That's what he just said. Okay. All right, let's keep digging. We're getting into this. All right, so write this down. Jesus just established a principle for us. He said that he established that our words and their words come uh, out of what is in our hearts. Everybody say heart. In abundance. So Jesus said he established that our words come out of what is in our hearts in abundance. Now, let me pause this and just put a little addendum right here. Um, what I, what I, and what Jesus is saying is the words that come out of your mouth without you consciously thinking about them. Because you can dress up what you say. Anybody ever been around somebody that kind of portrayed, wanted to portray something that they really weren't, so they spoke differently? Okay. You know, preachers do that. You know, preachers, they learn in, in uh, seminary not to say God. They say God. Okay? They learn how to talk differently because it impresses people when preachers talk differently. Okay? I don't know. They, maybe one day we'll catch on that people are smarter than we think they are. But, but what I want you to see is, is that Really what's in your heart in abundance is what eventually will come out of your mouth. I'll tell you a sure way to make, make what's in your heart evident by the words of your mouth is to hit your hand with a hammer accidentally. We'll find out what's in your heart. <laughs> you know why? Because you don't have time to filter it at that point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. So... Let's get this principle. Jesus established that our words come out of what is in our hearts in abundance. Okay? In uh, the easy-to-read version of this um, verse, 
And just so, just to make sure you haven't forgotten, you know why it's called the easy to read version, right? Huh? Because it's easy to read. That's right. Okay. So he said this, you snakes, you are so evil. How can you say anything good? Now here, and here's what I wanted us to glean from this. What people say with their mouths comes from what fills their hearts. See, if, if really, and I've learned to do this when, um, I'm not allowed to call it counseling. Uh, I have to call it spiritual guidance because the insurance company in my malpractice, and believe it or not, I have to carry malpractice insurance, uh, will not allow me to call it counseling because I'm not a licensed counselor in this state. So I have to call it spiritual guidance. Just a little side note. I thought you'd want to know that. Um, so when I'm sitting down with someone and, and, and they're wanting to receive spiritual guidance from me as a pastor, basically all I have to do, and I've learned this over time, is ask a few pertinent questions and get you to start talking. And if I will shut up and listen long enough, you will tell me what's really in your heart. This is especially true when I have couples come in to, you know, to want to talk to me. Um, you know, and all I hear is, you know, initially is about how one is the problem and the other is a saint and so forth and so on. Well, all I have to do is ask a couple of questions and be quiet and listen and they will tell me exactly what's going on because you reveal what is really in your heart by the words that come out of your mouth, okay? Now, how many of us in here don't want to be known like these vipers, these snakes were? You want to be known as a person that speaks good things, okay? Anybody? All right, okay. I think that was almost all of us, all right? So, write this down, please. Okay, Jesus said, well, let's read the verse, verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. So what this verse is telling us is that a good man will bring forth good things because that is what has been put into his heart. An evil man will bring forth, and one translation says, fling forth evil things because that's what's been put in his heart. Okay, so write this down, please. Jesus said, if you want to say good things, and I don't mean just necessarily positive things, if you want to say things where the power of God gets released in your life, then you must have good or right things stored in your heart. Okay? Jesus said, do you believe Jesus told the truth? Do you believe the master? Okay? He said, <clears throat> if you want to say the right things, then you've got to have the right things stored in your heart. Okay? Again, we're building our case here. Let's go to the next verse, verse 36. But I say to you, now this verse has always bugged me until I was studying for this particular sermon. And I'll explain to you why. Let me read the verse. But I say to you that for every idle word, Men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Bless you. Okay, so Jesus said, I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Now there's a lot that he said in this verse. Now, I want you to write this down because I'm gonna cover one word in the verse first, and then I'm going to break it down for you. That, uh, write this down. Jesus said that on the day of judgment, men will have to give account for every idle, say idle, idle word they speak. Now, if you're familiar with your car, 
uh, your car will idle. You know, if you're sitting at a traffic light and you're not moving forward, the engine is running, but it is idling. In other words, it's not doing anything to produce any extra power. It's just sitting there and running. And, and uh, you know, if you want to begin to move forward, then you have to apply the accelerator. You have to begin to speed up. Okay, so Jesus said that it is possible for us to have words that are like you sitting at that traffic light just idling your engine where it's not really doing anything, but it's running, okay? It is possible for you to have words that really aren't doing anything, but your mouth is running, okay? All right, let's look at it in the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Translation says this, but I tell you on the day of judgment, <clears throat> men will have to give account for every idle, and then parenthetically it says, inoperative, non-working word they speak. So we can understand from this verse that your words can pretty much be categorized in two things. Number one, it can be categorized in inoperative, non-producing, non-working, or it can be categorized over here as producing, powerful, getting something done, words. Do you, do you see that? Okay, all right, now. So Jesus, let's go back to the verse, verse 36. Jesus said, but I say to you that for every non-working, non-productive, powerless word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Now, what bothered me about this verse is this. Nowhere in the Bible, in any other teaching, in any of the epistles, in any of the book of Revelation, any of the Old Testament prophecies about the last days and so forth and so on, does it talk about us having to stand before the Lord and give an account for our words. Now, it does say uh, in Paul's writings, Paul said that a born-again believer, let me, let me clarify this because I don't want anybody to misunderstand. For the person who does not know Jesus, who dies without Christ, who is spiritually dead, okay, uh, there will come a time when they will stand before God at what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. And their final judgment will be determined at that point. It's too late for them to get saved at that point. But the, the final sentence is what's going to be pronounced at that point, And they will be eternally and forever separated from God. That's called the great white throne judgment. You as a born again believer, how many of you are born again in here today? Okay. You as a born again believer will not stand at that judgment. Your sin has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. You have repented. You have received Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that you have escaped the wrath and judgment to come. Can I get an amen? amen? How about a praise the Lord, okay? But you will give an account. There will be a judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, after the rapture takes place and we all are in heaven, there will be a judgment that takes place, but it is diametrically different than the great white throne judgment in the sense of, you will not give account for your sin. Come on. Your sin has been dealt with through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now somebody says, well, didn't Jesus pay the price for everybody? Yes, but they failed to receive it. You did not. You did receive what Jesus did for you. So what is this judgment that we will stand before the Lord? It is an account that we will give for the stewardship of our lives 
after we got saved. What did you do with what God entrusted you with in the earth to further the kingdom of God? The Bible talks about that there will, our works will be judged and essentially what it says is fire will be set to them and what is wood, hay, and stubble, in other words, meaningless, will burn up. But what is left and is precious and valuable in the sight of God is what will remain and we will be rewarded based upon that. Hallelujah. Okay, so, and by the way, you have a choice to determine how much your reward is when you get to heaven. All you have to do is obey. Just do what God tells you to do. All right, are you listening to me? Okay. Now, in those two judgments, nowhere else in the Bible does it say that you will give an account of the words that come out of your mouth. Only, this is only mentioned one time in the gospel when Jesus said it right here. Now, I am not saying that they may, that may not happen. I'm just saying, based on what the scripture shows us, there's not a precedent set for it, okay? So what is Jesus talking about? So, and this is what was causing the dilemma in me is I knew everything that I just described to you about the judgment, the great white throne judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, and, uh, but I couldn't reconcile those with what Jesus said right here. And so I had to dig in and I had to, do some study, which is what you should do when you don't understand Scripture. Well, hallelujah. Okay, so let's dive into this. How many of you want to know what Jesus is talking about? Okay, anybody excited want to know what Jesus is talking about? All right, because I'm excited because you're going to, it's, it, I'm just, well, it's good. All right, okay. So Jesus was not necessarily talking about having to give an account at his judgment seat for our idle, non-operative, non-working words. What was he talking about? Well, we have to get in and we have to look at some words in the Greek. Okay, again, the Greek language being the original language. All right, so Jesus said this, in the day of judgment. The word day there in the Greek language, I didn't include this in your notes online, but the word day in the Greek language doesn't necessarily mean a set moment. It means a time frame. We could say a season, okay? On Wednesday nights, we're, we're in a series talking about, in, in our Zoom Bible study, talking about discerning the times and the seasons of the Lord. It's the same principle. There is, um, this word is not used to denote a specific appointment. Like if you were to have a doctor's appointment or something like that. The word in the Greek language is, is a, more broad than that, meaning that it is a, an occasion. It's a season, all right? So, Jesus said, in the day, in the time, in the season of judgment. So I, I said, well, I've got to find out. What is he talking about? Well, I got the concordance out, looked at the word judgment, and the word judgment in the Greek language is the Greek word crisis. Interesting. And in the Greek translated to English, it means the English word crisis, a turn of events or a turn of affairs or judgment. So can I, can I say this to you? Let me read the verse to you again. Jesus said, in, in reading from the Amplified, but I tell you, in the occasion of crisis, men will have to give an account for every word that they speak. Are you beginning to see what he's actually saying here? Okay. So what he's saying is <clears throat> all of us are going to face occasions in our lives 
where crisis happens. Anybody ever been through a crisis? You know, maybe it was a medical crisis. Maybe it was a family crisis, a financial crisis, whatever it might be. It happens to all of us. Life happens. Okay. What Jesus is saying is when that moment hits, your words are extremely important. Okay. So again, Jesus is speaking of a day or a season of crisis. Then the very next verse, he says this, for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Well, again, this is what caused me to struggle a little bit because I knew he couldn't have been talking about the great white throne because nobody's words are going to be able to help them then. The only thing that's going to happen at that moment is people are finally going to bow their knee and say, you know what? I was wrong. Jesus is Lord. But unfortunately, it's too late. At the great or, or at the, the, the judgment seat of Christ, my words really aren't going to help me there because life is over. In other words, I've lived out my life in the earth, so my words aren't going to be able to add to any of the value of the works that I did for the kingdom of God. Do you see where my thinking was going with this? Okay, so when Jesus made the statement, for by your words you'll be justified, and by, or by your words you'll be condemned, I had to, you have to draw another conclusion. And so what, I'm, what I want to propose to you is this. You have to go and you have to look at the words justified and condemned. Are you still with me? Yes. All right. Okay. So again, the Amplified says this, for by your words, you will be justified and acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned and sentenced. Okay. So I went and I looked at the concordance again. The Greek word for justified is dakeo. I know that's kind of weird. Sounds like I'm speaking Jamaican or something, but no, it's Greek. And, and what it means is to bring out of that which a person desires. Now, I'm going to put all this together in just a moment. Then the Greek word for condemned is the Greek word kata dekaizo, and it means this, to pronounce or really further a sentence for you. Hmm. Okay. So what does this mean? Well, write this down, please. What we say in a moment of crisis will determine the outcome. And the outcome will either be the desired result or justification, or it will prolong the crisis and thus condemnation. Let me say it to you this way. When crisis hits your life, <clears throat> you have, a, and this is what Jesus is teaching us. When crisis hits your life, you have a choice what you say in that moment. And when you speak words of God, God's words, in that crisis situation, what you do is you begin to move yourself to the desired outcome which is healing, which is provision, which is peace, which is favor, whatever it is that the crisis is demanding. Are you tracking with me? But when you speak and you reinforce the crisis by your words, what you're doing is you're extending your sentence. In other words, by your words, you can shorten the sentence and get yourself to the desired results quicker, or by your words, you can extend the sentence and prolong the crisis. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so Jesus, in my opinion, based on what I study and what I see, he's not talking about something that will happen 
in heaven before his throne. He is talking about something that happens on a regular basis for us when we experience crises. You have a choice in what you say. Now write this down. I didn't put this in your notes, but write this down, please. And I learned this a long time ago, and that is this. First words matter. First, I don't mean to yell at y'all, I'm just excited. First words matter. What are the first words that come out of your mouth when crisis hits? What are the first words that come out of your mouth when you get that report from the doctor? What are the first words that come out of your mouth when they tell you you're going to be laid off from your job? What are the first words that come out of your mouth when you're faced with that crisis in your family? What are the first words that come out of your mouth? Because those first words are what are going to begin to shape the outcome. Now, let me tie this together with what Jesus is saying in this whole five verses, and that is this. If you want to determine the outcome and make it a good and godly and right outcome, then prepare for it in advance and store in your heart what you need to say. Because out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. I hope you're getting this. Okay, all right. So I want to show you in verse 35, Jesus said this, a good man out of the good treasure, everybody say treasure. Now this is going to tickle you, okay, because it tickled me when I saw it. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth bad things. You know what the Greek word is for treasure? Thesaurus. Anybody ever used a thesaurus before? Now, it's not as commonly used as, say, a dictionary, but anybody ever wanted to find out what different words are for a word? It's called a thesaurus. Well, what a thesaurus is in the Greek language, it really means this, anything laid up in store or the place where the stores are kept. So that book that you have, that thesaurus that's full of all of those synonym words is a place where words are stored that you can reference when you need to. So Jesus said that out of the good thesaurus of your heart, your mouth will speak good things. Out of the bad thesaurus of your heart, your mouth will speak forth bad things. Are y'all getting this? I love it. I love it. So, because we refer to a thesaurus for synonyms or words that are stored up in one place for reference. All right? Now, let me show you uh, some scriptures, okay, that are similar to what Jesus is saying. Psalm 119, verse 11, David said this, Your word have I hidden in my heart heart that I might not sin against you. That word hidden there is, is really a cool word in the Hebrew. It is, it's, it's the Hebrew word sapan, which means this. Um, do you remember when Moses was a baby and his mother took him and put him in, made the basket and put tar in the basket and then wrapped him up and put him in the basket and put him in the Nile River so that Pharaoh's daughter could find him. You remember that? Okay. She hid him from Pharaoh's army so they would not kill him. That is the Hebrew word. She hid him and protected him from harm that could come. The Hebrew word is also used where it's talking about anybody remember in the Old Testament tabernacle and later on in the temple that there was a veil that was between the, there was the outer court, then there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies, and there was a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. In other words, the presence of God was hidden from everybody else except the priest. Same word. 
So what David is saying is your word I have taken and I have protected and I have deposited down in my heart so that I won't sin against you. We have uh, another translation that says this, New English, in my heart I store up your words so I might not sin against you. Now, the whole point of this message is this, and we're going to get to it, and, and I'm, this is my first of nine closings, okay? I'm allowed 10. I'm just teasing, okay? So what, what, what Jesus is telling us and what these verses are telling us is God is not responsible for storing his word in your heart. You are. I am. So if I want to say the right things when crisis comes, guess what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to prepare for it in advance. I'm going to have to make some deposits. Guess what happens when I go to the bank and I need some money and I ain't never put any in my account? There's not going to be any there for me to draw out. Okay? But if I want money to be there when I need it and crisis comes, guess what I'd better be doing? putting some money in, making some deposits, all right? So this tells me that when Jesus described what he did and said that what we can do ahead of time and on purpose is we can store the right words in our heart so when crisis arises, because I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, crisis is coming, Somebody said, well, pastor, this needs to be a positive message. Listen to me. I am positive crisis is coming. So you have a choice. Either your words when that crisis comes can be words that shorten the crisis and begin the process of bringing you out, or those words can be words that you speak and cause the crisis to be prolonged. All right? Paul wrote, and he said this in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you barely. Huh? A little bit. Come on now, you don't have to be fanatical. It doesn't have to be all that much now. You, you know, you'll go crazy you study and read the Bible too much. That's what country folk used to say. You can't be in that Bible too much. You'll go crazy. Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, as we wrap up, I want to give you three ways to write the word of God in your heart. How do I deposit the word down into my heart? Anybody want to know? Come back next week and I'll tell you. No, I'm just kidding. We'll give it to you today. I'm super duper practical too. For those of you who've been a part of our church for a long time, you know, I am very, very practical. I give you stuff you can do because I believe that's what Jesus did and I believe that's what the word of God does. Here's number one. The first way to write the word in your heart is repetition. Repetition. Repeating. Okay, now repetition is going to apply to the other two, but repetition is very, very important where the things of God are concerned. And anybody that is really good at anything will tell you repetition is the key to their success. You know, whether it's an athlete, you know, I think about Steph Curry and, and uh, you know, s s what is Steph known for? His three-point shots. Can you imagine, I have no idea, but the thousands of practice three-point shots that young man has taken in his career to, to, to just repeat over and over and over and over again. Tiger Woods, you know, um, to be the, the expert golfer that he is. You know, one, one thing that you all may not understand is that m most of these professional golfers that are worth their salt they will go out and they will play 18 holes in a tournament. They will get through with that tournament and they will immediately go to the driving range and hit 500 to 1,000 balls 
tweaking and figuring out what they were doing wrong while they were playing on the course, just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. You know, God originally gave the law in Leviticus, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And uh, the people did not get it the first time. How many of you know you don't get it the first time? I don't get it the first time. So what God had to do is God had to bring them around again when they messed up and didn't go into the promised land. He had to bring them around and brought them to what the book that we now know as Deuteronomy. If you've ever read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it is a lot of the same thing. Okay? Matter of fact, that's what Deuteronomy begins. Do, it's from the, the Greek Septuagint. It means this. What, it, what is somebody, it's old school. I'm going to go old school on you. Anybody remember what a Buick deuce and a quarter is? What is that? A Buick. Is it a Buick or Olds? Buick, 225. Okay? That's a deuce and a quarter. All right? What does the prefix D-E-U mean? It means twice. In other words, what God said in Deuteronomy was, let's go over this again because you didn't get it the first time. Okay? So, God went through the whole law, all of the commandments, everything that they were supposed to do, all of the sacrifices, and went through it all again. Well, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know it didn't take too terribly long and the people messed up again later on. All right, but let me read some scripture to you from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 20. This is the instructions that Moses, God gave Moses to give to the people. And he said this, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now I'm going to stop right there. To this day, if, and you can probably Google this either on YouTube or see images of it, but you will see Orthodox Jews to this day at the Wailing Wall praying and they will have a little box attached to their forehead. It's a little black box. It's called a phylactery. And what that is, is in that little black box actually has a tiny little scroll in it with scriptures on it. Now, and I'm not being critical when I say this, but where they kind of miss it is, it's not the word that's attached to your head up here, it's the word that you get to your heart. I understand what they're trying to accomplish, but it's really kind of not doing them any good. Okay, and again, I'm not being critical. I, I, I love their traditions and so forth. But he said, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall teach them to your children. Speaking of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Why? So every time you pass them, you see them and you read them over and over and over and over again. How many of you, I may be dating myself, but you know, back in the day when you were learning the multiplication tables, you had to memorize them. They've got some weird way of doing it now. I don't, don't understand it. Maybe a teacher can explain it to me. Okay, but you literally had flashcards. Remember the flashcards? Two times two equals what? Four, okay? And you memorized those. You know how you memorized them? You went over and over and over and over them again. You repeated them. Let me say it to you this way and then we'll go to number two. You don't get it the first time around. That's why I encourage people all the time, take the notes that are on the website, take the podcast and listen to it over, not mine only, there's many, many, many great podcasts out there, but listen to them. Get that word in your heart simply by hearing it over and over and over again. Number two, 
The next way you write the word in your heart is by meditation. Meditation. What does meditation mean? It doesn't mean you sit crisscross Indian style on the floor with your legs funny and you're going, hmm, and you've got incense. I mean, if you want to do all that, that's your business. But meditation, biblical meditation, is thinking and pondering. And the literal Hebrew word means to mutter, to say it to yourself over and over and over again. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Sounds like pretty much all the time that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Anybody want to have some good success? Anybody want to have their way made prosperous? I just told you how. Okay, what if I could tell you a way that everything you do could be successful? Would you be interested in that? Thank you for one. Anybody else? Okay, all right. Look at Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates every now and then. Huh? Day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit, its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, uh-huh, I didn't write it, God did, okay? The psalmist David said this in Psalm 119, verse 15, I meditate, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. He wrote in verse 97 of the same psalm, oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day thinking about the Word of God, spending time thinking about the Word of God. You know, there's a whole lot of junk that we think about that we really don't need to think about. You know, and I'm not critical of, you know, social media and all that kind of stuff. I think it has a, a purpose, but it can consume you, you know, and it can take on more than really it should. You know, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15. He said this in the Passion. Make all of this your constant meditation. All of the instructions I just gave you. And make it real with your life so that everyone can see that you're moving forward. Wow. So, Timothy, if you want to grow, if you want to mature spiritually, spend your time thinking about and meditating on what I've taught you. And then everybody, say everybody, everybody. or if you want to say everybody, everybody will be able to see that your life is moving forward. Okay, here's number three. And this one is one we don't talk about very much. We used to talk about it a lot in the early part of the charismatic movement in the late 60s, 70s. Um, but, and, and, and really, the Lord has been stirring my heart to go back and pick this up. And number three is this, memorization. Memorization. There uh, is a dear, sweet lady who, uh, she's a minister, been around for years and years and years. I looked it up the other day. My mom and I were talking about her. She's 90 two years old. Her name is Marilyn Hickey. I don't know if you've ever heard of Marilyn. But in the 70s, you know, she really kind of became prominent. Uh, she and her husband pastored a church in Colorado and uh, she would go on the road and would teach much like Joyce Meyer does today and so forth. And, and um, one of the big things that she would teach on from the Word of God is memorizing Scripture. And uh, it was so prevalent in her life, she had spent so much time memorizing the scripture that she would minister to people. She would call you out. She, this happened, I was in her services a couple of times and this happened with me, that she uh, had memorized the Psalms, she had memorized the Proverbs, she had memorized all kinds of scripture. She could call you out 
And by word of knowledge, the Lord would bring up a scripture and she could give it to you based on the Lord recalling that out of her memory and it would be right on and would minister to you. But we've gotten away from that. And I think we need to get back to it. Um, let me say this, and we're almost done. You know, um, in, the, in the Bible days, particularly in the, the, the part of time where Jesus walked the earth, it was a huge deal for a Jewish young man to start out in school at, you know, three, four, five years old, and their aspiration, every Jewish male, their aspiration was to be considered worthy to become part of the religious order and become a rabbi so that you could teach other people. And this was a highly respected, highly desired position in um, Jewish culture. Now, what would happen is you learned the trade that your father had, you know, if you think about Peter, James, John, Andrew, their fathers were fishermen. <clears throat> so they learned how to be fishermen. Now you learn this trade because in case you failed out of rabbi training, you had a trade to fall back on. <clears throat> That's why, what was Jesus called in his hometown when he could do no mighty work there? They said, is this not the carpenter's son, okay? Because Jesus was learning the trade of his father in case, well, he wasn't going to fail, but it was just tradition. Now, my point in saying all of this is, so in school, starting at a very young age, kindergarten age, you would go all the way up in this rabbinical training to the point where you got to be in your mid-teens, and by the time you're in, I believe, 12 years old, when you were getting ready to uh, have your bat mitzvah and all that, and, and, and you were becoming what was considered a man, you had already memorized the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, by memory. Word for word. I'm talking about at 12 years old. Then as you progressed, you, you know, when you got to be 13, 15, 16, you know, long in that age, you had learned and memorized all of the prophetical books. And I'm talking about Isaiah's writings, Jeremiah's writings, all the minor prophets. And then by the time you were graduating, so to speak, and you were moving into where you were considering or considered to be going in to become a rabbi, you had memorized not only the first five books of the Old Testament, all of the prophetic books, but you had memorized all of the Psalms, all of the Proverbs, all of Ecclesiastes, all of those what are called poetic books in the Old Testament. Memorize them. I'm talking about where somebody could come up to you at any moment and say, what does give you the reference? And you could say it verbatim. Jesus passed this with flying colors. See, we think, you know, when Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil was tempting him those three times, what did he do to overcome the temptation? He did what? He quoted scriptures. Now, he didn't have New Testament scriptures. He didn't have, uh, you know, Romans chapter 8 that says we've been made more than conquerors through him because he is the him. What did he have? He had the Old Testament scriptures that he had memorized. And when he needed them, they were there for him to use. Are you listening to me? Okay, Proverbs, let me hurry up. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. My son, keep my words, store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. That means the core of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, 
I will say this, when, you know, and when I first got saved, first couple of years I got saved, of course I was listening to Sister Marilyn's teaching. And so I started memorizing Proverbs. Started memorizing Proverbs. I got through, I think, three, four chapters. Okay. Good little start. Okay. Now, also when I was in high school at the, about the same time, I had to memorize stuff for high school. Anybody remember that? You know, you had to memorize the Constitution and the preamble and all that good stuff. Anybody remember that? Somebody stand up and quote to me the Declaration of Independence right now. You know, you can't. Why? Because you didn't write it in your heart. But you know what? I can still recall those three chapters of Proverbs because I wrote them in my heart and they never go away. Listen, look at this. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 16, David said this, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That sounds like a decision, a determined purpose. If you don't forget something, what do you do? You remember it. Why? Because you memorized it. And then lastly, John 14, verse 26, Jesus said this. This is a, a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, but the helper, say the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Do you know why you and I reach crises and we don't know what to do? We don't know what the answers are. We don't know what God has said about the situation because we've never taken the time to deposit it and write it upon the tablet of our hearts. I've got a little secret for you, okay? The Holy Spirit cannot bring to your remembrance what you have not put in your heart. So if you want the Holy Spirit to have something to work with, start making some deposits. Start writing the word in your heart. And I'm telling you, when that crisis hits, oh, this is what's so exciting to me. When that crisis hits, and they hit, and they catch you off guard sometimes, and you, you, you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. But the word of God begins to rise up. My God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. That doctor's report comes. Yes, thank you, sir. I appreciate your expertise. However, the word says that who in his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness and by whose stripes I was healed. That's how you confront and deal with crisis. Have I helped anybody today? I'm sorry, I've gone, a, no, I'm not sorry. I've gone a couple minutes over. It's okay, it's good. Praise God. <laughs> I started to say I'm sorry, but not sorry, but you get the point. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.